Well, sayonara, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your miserable life. This is the Mad Men pregame show from WNYC. I'm Ellen Horn. Each week, we relive the most memorable moments of the series and talk to superfans about why Mad Men has been so satisfying to watch. But this week, we're talking about blind spots, the characters and themes and historical events that were brought up, then totally abandoned. And we'll wag our fingers, lovingly, at the most exasperating missed opportunities. But first, so much happened this week. I got some bad news at work. Hey, I don't care how bad it is, it's not that bad. You don't know that. McCann Erickson is absorbing the company entirely. We're being swallowed up. We have 30 days. Sterling Cooper will be no more. SCMP has conflicts, that's why we exist. Don't you understand, we don't exist. Don does his Don thing. He dreams up a last-minute pitch to save the day by keeping Sterling Cooper West open. What I'm saying is there's business in California. If we can work out of a bassinet, we can make McCann money that they'd have to throw away. But McCann's not interested. Stop struggling. You won. You are dying and going to advertising heaven. Meanwhile, Peggy and Stan are casting kids for a commercial when Peggy gets into it with a stage mom. This is her favorite thing. She loves it. And I bet you love cashing her checks. Peggy. You do what you want with your children. I do what I want with mine. That really sets Peggy off. And she reveals to Stan that she does have a kid. He's with a family somewhere. In the end, there's nothing left to do but have a drink. I feel like I should make a toast. Again. Sunday show was wonderful. It was the episode that people, I feel like, had been waiting for this entire year. Gilbert Cruz is the television editor at the New York Times, and he watches a lot of TV for work. So we thought he was the perfect person to help us get some context as we head into the final countdown. I think the three episodes prior to Sundays were, um, they were slower paced, they were... Um, more internal, and they were focused uh, in large part on Don. So I can understand the dissatisfaction with the introduction of, of new characters. Okay, let's just talk about the waitress. Let's go right there. What was up with the waitress? The waitress... All right, so, you know, when you're attached to a show, you're attached to those characters, and when it, it's in its final run, you want to see as much of those characters as possible. The thing is... That is not the responsibility of, of the show, right? Yeah. The show's responsibility is to tell the story that it wants to tell. And so the waitress, while a mysterious and sort of oblique character, exists for a reason, exists in order to show us where Don is at this point in his life. So right. while it seems like she came out of nowhere, every new character comes out of nowhere. It's, it was only put into relief in a greater way, because there are so few episodes left. Right, right. So all of us sitting watching, we're like, every second of screen time that we're watching her, we're not watching Joan, we're not watching Peggy, we're missing the other characters that we've grown to have a relationship with and want to find out what happened, what's going to happen to those characters. Exactly. So let's talk about how other shows ending a long run have successfully finished, or maybe not. So in this TV age that we live in, I feel like the, the, the two grand TV finales that everyone always references are The Sopranos and Lost. 
Those, yeah. are, those yeah. are the two biggies. In this third or fourth golden age, however, <laughs> right. however you want to number it, those are the big two. And Lost is sort of held up by many, not by me, by many as the sort of paramount example of, a, of an extremely dissatisfying TV finale. The Sopranos is a little more mixed. The Sopranos is a finale that, that because it ended on such a, a question mark, people continue to debate and probably will debate forever. I mean, is there such a thing as a perfect finale? We, we've seen a couple finales this year that I think were very satisfying to fans, at least the Parks and Rec finale, um, which allowed everyone to end on a, on a somewhat happy note. The Justified finale, which was just a few weeks ago, was you know, it's not a show that was incredibly well watched, but to its very fervent fans, it was an extremely satisfying finale. Yeah. You know, if we go back to the 80s, MASH, the MASH finale, which is sure, one of the most right. watched TV episodes of all time, and two finales that were a little crazy, the New Heart finale. Um, where Pete, where was he, that it? It's all a dream. Yeah, he a, he he woke up and and you know was he was new in a different in, TV show and his other show and the Saint Elsewhere finale, which was you know the entire show is revealed to be the imaginings of a boy looking into a snow globe. Uh, which I, is, you I, think that's what's going to happen at the end of Mad No, but I do believe if the Saint Elsewhere finale uh, <laughs> had happened in the sort of Twitter age that we lived in, people would have <laughs> lost their mind. They would have lost their mind. No doubt. So we we yeah we live in this time of of where fans are able to express their opinions in in a greater way than they ever have before because of social media, you know show creator Matthew Weiner and his team of writers are very aware of that, and I'm pretty sure they do not care. <laughs> so so how let's talk a little bit about some of the writers' motivations around the creative decisions that they've that they've made. The show's clearly missed some opportunities over the years. And and I feel like the the most obvious one is is race. It's like a topic that they've brushed up against but not really gone deep on. Um I want to play you a I want to play you some tape. This is this is one scene in episode 2 of season 7 and um it's an exchange between two the two black secretaries in the office, Dawn and Shirley, and it's in the kitchen. Hello, Dawn. Hello, Shirley. You shouldn't be taking a break right where you are. I'm not. I'm getting her coffee. And I'm taking my time. What does she do now? It ain't funny. Charles sent me 12 long stem roses in a crystal vase, and she took them. I was right at the photocopier when she came in, preparing her shit, and somehow, because I put the card in my purse, I guess, because it said I love you so, mm-hmm. she thought they were hers. It was an honest mistake. Who the hell is sending her flowers? Don and Shirley are the two black women in the firm, and the the scene starts with an inside joke that they're calling each other by their own name. What do you think the writer's motivation was slipping that joke in there and starting that scene that way? You know, I think it was it was possibly too subtle nod at showing very quickly but very succinctly the life of these two characters on the show, which is that they to us because they are the only two black characters at the firm, they sort of stand out. But to the people who work at the firm, they don't stand out. They are interchangeable. They are just the two black women that work there. You know, we don't know who confuses these two characters, but we do know that many of the men there are <laughs> are very crass people. And that brief exchange, we can see how how difficult it probably is for those two characters to be in that 
overwhelmingly white place at that time right. in American history. Right. When you set a show in an era like the 60s, which is one of the most radical eras in American history, you had, you know, change and revolution when it came to race, when it came to gender, when it came to uh, gay rights. Um, when you set a, a show in that era, the expectation for some might be that you have to um, that you have to hit all of those in a very substantial way in the show. This is a criticism that's been brought up with Matt Weiner before, and uh, and he has acknowledged it, and he has gone on to say many times that he understands that, but this is not a show about the 60s. This is a show about these very specific uh, elite, white, wealthy characters in the 60s. So in the moments when they brush up against history or they brush up against race or, or they brush up against black people or gay people, the, you know, that will be portrayed on the show. But this is not a show where you're going to uh, – where you're not going to show the Stonewall riots, for example, even though those were happening um, concurrent with the last season. And you're not going to show necessarily Dawn's home life. She's the, right, the, one right. of the black characters, although there have been a couple scenes from her point of view. Um, so one thing that that clip sort of shows is that these characters are aware of the of the invisibility in a way that they have in this extremely white firm. Um, what do you think that we, the viewers, would find most satisfying in, in the end of the series? I think some viewers would be very satisfied if Peggy and Stan got together. Oh, my God. They, watching Twitter... During the episode on Sunday, it was like an explosion of people hoping for that. I can't imagine that's going to happen. I cannot imagine that there will be a major point of closure for Don Draper. For many seasons, Don has been unclear as to who exactly he is. I feel like in these last few episodes, he might be getting closer. Um, but whether or not there will be some sort of grand understanding or realization seems a little too pet. Our next guest isn't expecting a pat end for Don Draper either. Don is too much of a narcissist to commit suicide. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> More blind spots as we head into the home stretch. That's next. going to do? Throw a brick through their window? I want to keep my job. So I'm going to keep my head down. You're listening to the Mad Men pregame show from WNYC. I'm Ellen Horn, and that's Dawn, one of the show's most intriguing latter-day characters, and one of only two black women at Sterling Cooper. But we know almost nothing about her. And to me, that seems like a missed opportunity. How can you do a show about social changes in the 1960s and barely touch civil rights? Mad Men's creator, Matt Weiner, says that New York City agencies were not integrated during that period. But is that really true? No, which is really frustrating as a viewer. Erica Blount Danois recently wrote an article asking the question, will the final season of Mad Men get any blacker? She says there's one real-life character that Weiner should have snatched up. 
I had written an article in Ebony about um, an ad executive, and his name is Raquel Billy Davis, who originally co-founded the Motown concept. He was an A&R guy at Chess Records and a songwriter, and they actually recruited him. So McCann Erickson, which is, you know, the, the company yeah. on the show that is their rival. And now the, um, he, the, they own the agency at exactly, this point. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. Billy Davis was a huge, huge figure in the ad world, not just at McCann Erickson. You know, he he started some of the most famous ad campaigns for Coca-Cola. I like to teach the world to sing. You know, he's a huge figure that you know, could easily be incorporated into the narrative, but also is just sort of important to to advertising. Yeah, totally. There's there's the sense that they know that there are issues and that the show almost brushes up against them, but doesn't ever quite mm-hmm. go deep there. Like, how have these omissions affected the show? I mean, I think, you know, the omission is saying not just that these black people were invisible to the mainstream, but also that, you know, these people in corporate America were completely isolated from the events that were happening, literally, you know, at some point on the show when they're throwing the water bags out of the window, literally right under their noses, that they were completely not just oblivious, but unaffected. And that's impossible. Do you know somebody's throwing water bombs out your windows? What are you talking about? Everybody saw it was coming from this floor. We all saw it. This is the executive floor. That's utterly ridiculous. Don't you call us ridiculous. Is this what Madison Avenue represents? (laughs) (laughs) And they call us savages. After assassination of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, the Kerner Commission, the whole Black is Beautiful movement, like you could not ignore it. There were black advertising agencies. There were black-oriented products, like Johnson Products was one of the first black companies on the New York Stock Exchange. If you lived in America and if you worked in advertising or in media or anything, like, it's impossible to bypass the fact that, you know, black consumers were a a large buying public. And if we had a central character, a, a black person who actually is an ad executive, which is true to the time period, that could walk us through, you know, what are the challenges for you? Um, You know, what's going on when you're going, when you're at home? What's your personal life like? Right. What's missing? It's like like Dawn is the closest that we have, and we've barely seen her outside of the office. And and we haven't really seen her outside of the office, except as she relates to the white characters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about Don for a little bit. There, there's one clip. This is from season five, and Peggy invited Don over to her apartment because they both stayed at, late at work, and Don didn't want to take the subway home. And they have a couple of beers, and they bond. So, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, go ahead. You can talk. I'm trying to. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say, I hope you won't tell Mr. Draper about me sleeping there. You two talk sometimes. Matt, we have to stick together. I know we're not really in the same situation, but I was the only one like me there for a long time. 
I know it's hard. I appreciate that. There's this thing that happens after that scene where Dawn sees that Peggy is nervous about leaving her purse with money in it alone with Dawn. And it's like, it's like a, a, a light switch, like boom, things change mm-hmm. really suddenly. And they're again from different worlds. Yeah. That's what, a great scene too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what does that scene tell us about Peggy? That's sort of a key, you know, turning point, I think for Peggy in terms of, um, cause she, I think she, she realizes or she attempts to be, you know, aware and and open-minded. Even, you know, her boyfriend is, is, is an indication of how open-minded she attempts to be. But I think that scene and when she had to make that decision of, of whether to take her purse with her and or leave it out there, um, she realized that there are some things that she needs to work on. And her as a progressive woman in the workplace and we're rooting for her. You know, every woman who's ever worked in corporate America or in any <laughs> any agency anywhere um, is rooting for her. When she first gets that promotion, like, it's an emotional moment. And I think um, at that point where she's hoping and rooting for Dawn to be able to do the same kind of, you know, to have the same kind of trajectory that she did she realized that there's still a different kind of limitation. Let, let's hear another clip. This is, this is about, about Don and how he's treated some of the black characters we've seen him interact with. This is a, our, our glimpse of him in conversation with a, a black waiter at a bar. Old gold man, huh? Lucky strike here. Can I ask you a question? Why do you smoke old gold? I'm sorry, sir. Is uh, Sam here bothering you? He can be a little chatty. No, we're actually just having a conversation. Is that okay? So you obviously need to relax after working here all night. Yes. I don't know. But what is it? I mean, low tar, those new filters? Why, I mean, why old gold? They gave them to us in the service. A cart in a week for free. So you're used to them, is that it? Yeah. They're a habit. I could never get you to try another brand, say, my luckies. I love my old golds. All right, well, let's just say tomorrow a tobacco weevil comes and eats every last old gold on the planet. That's a sad story. It's a tragedy. Yeah, I love that scene. I love it. That's the opening scene, actually, to the series. Um, and Don is, is he's just so comfortable in his own skin, which is really just ironic given <laughs> that it's not his skin you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's stolen skin it's exactly. a stolen name right yeah no i mean it's it's fascinating to his character to me is just you know increasingly fascinating and i think you know as an outsider he's able to maneuver all of these different worlds and to connect with all of these different kind of people really effortlessly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to me that that was the first, very first scene and it did seem to signal that there was going to be, that we were going to get into more issues around race than the show has. Mm-hmm. Um, so you remain optimistic that there's some possibility <laughs> in these last few episodes that they're going to... Well... <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm. Optimistic is a strong word. Well, I'm hopeful. I mean, it would really, it would really bring something interesting and new to a series that has sort of um, fallen flat lately. Honestly, I mean, it would. It's not just something that would be interesting. Like it's historically accurate, and he's done that with so many other things that it, it, you know, it just makes sense more than anything else. So I am hopeful. <laughs> That's all I can really say. <laughs> Erica Blount Danois is the author of the book Love, Peace, and Soul Behind the Scenes of America's Favorite Dance Show, Soul Train. And that's it for this edition of the Mad Men pregame show. Our team includes Amy Eason, James Ramsey, Dan O'Donnell, Jenny Lawton, Paula Schumann, Caitlin Thompson, and Irene Trudell. Special thanks to Stan Rizzo for being such a good listener and rocking that ascot with the Dunham look so hard. I'm Ellen Horn, watching on Sunday night, martini in hand, still living with the consequences of a 300-year-old Scottish feud. His clan took advantage of the gift of hospitality and murdered my ancestors while they slept. The king ordered it!